This is Agent to Agent Remarks. My name is Jeff Lavelle. I am a real estate broker and property manager with The Brokerage, a real estate firm just outside of Las Vegas in Henderson, Nevada. Agent to Agent Remarks are those comments in the multiple listing system that aren't shared with the general public. They're just those private comments between the real estate agents. And so this series is going to focus on fun stories, not so fun stories, and all those little things that you don't always get to hear about. And it's far from reality TV. It's the real part of real estate. So sit back, relax. Let's talk about some real estate and thanks for stopping by. Well, hello everybody. Jeff Lavelle here, broker of the brokerage, as you've just heard, uh, coming to you again from my office here in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, I wanted to talk to you today. We've had some great episodes, what I believe are great episodes so far, and I hope you agree. And I hope if you don't agree, you're still sharing this podcast with your family, friends, and loved ones. But I want to talk today about home inspections. Um, so I, I'm going to have uh, some home inspectors in to talk to you because I do believe in, in getting different opinions on things. Not to mention they all have their own personalities and you know you might you might have a home inspector that you get along with and then they move out of state. And you might have a home inspector who uh, has a lot of great uh, attributes in some areas, but then other areas you feel like there's another person that you should call on for these things. But um, I wanted to talk about home inspections what we, what they are, what they aren't, what we as realtors and real estate licensees are expected to know and what we don't need to, to really focus on. And then of course, how that ties into financing, you know, every facet really of what we do has some impact or, or way of influencing other parts of the transaction. So it's not enough just to say, oh, well, uh, this was done or that was done. I, I personally have some feelings about, what your approach is for home inspections as a whole. And it's changed over the years. It's changed in the last year. And uh, I think that it, it's always nice to share what we think are our best practices. So, you know, you get your home inspection, you get your purchase contract together, and you're writing your offer for your client. And if you are a client, then your agent's writing the offer for you. Um, if they ask you to write the offer for yourself, you probably need a good, a, a better agent. But uh, you write the offer, and normally in most jurisdictions, there is a section for inspections. And Nevada's no different. You know, we have a, I, I think we have a pretty good purchase contract. I mean, everybody's going to have their uh, little ways of picking things apart. But I, I really like the purchase contract we have here for the most part. Again, I have some things I would change about it, but um, you, you know, you get down into um, uh, the purchase contract. It, it goes into a few things. We talked in the last podcast about uh, the contingency, the buyer's due diligence period, and Section Seven A of our purchase contract. But then it gets down into uh, Section Seven uh, D, where we go into the buyer's inspections themselves. And um, there's a lot of inspections you can do. I mean, you know, there's the energy audit. So if you want to know how energy efficient a home is, is it leaking cool or hot air through the windows, through the outlets in the in the drywall, through the attic spaces? And I mean, there's all different manner of ways that a home can be energy inefficient. And so you can have an energy audit performed. Um, there's, of course, the, the general home inspection. I, I liken that to... Um, the, uh, what do you want to call it? Evaluation by a general practitioner. You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor does a general once over on you and says, you know, I think we need to look at A, B, and C more specifically. So they're going to refer you to a specialist. And that's really what the home inspector does. Uh, termite inspection. 
if you are a real estate agent or if you are a buyer that is a VA buyer, you've got your veterans benefits first and foremost. Thank you for your service. Um, we do not uh, thank our service members and women, service men and women enough uh, for the sacrifice that they make as well as the sacrifice that their families make when they are out uh, serving our country. And so uh, first and foremost, always thank you for your service. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, uh, a quick story about that. I have always been um, very uh, aware of the service members around me. I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada. For the most part, uh, we have a lot of Air Force here. We, we have Nellis Air Force Base, uh, but we do have a lot of, uh, of Army. And um, anytime I see somebody walking past me with their, uh, their hat on, you know, you get the, the retired members um, that have served in the past. They've got their insignia, the Marines or uh, Air Force, whoever it is. Um, and I always stop and just in passing say, hey, thank you very much for your service. And one time I was in the district, which is here in Henderson, and I was walking out of one of the stores, walking across the parking lot, and there was an older gentleman, I would say he was probably in his late 60s, um, maybe early 70s, but uh, I, I didn't notice at the time he had some hearing aids. And so I, I turned to him as I was passing, it was probably three feet away from me, I said, hey, thank you for your service, sir. And he turned around. I kept walking because I don't, I don't expect to engage or have a conversation about their service. It's just a, a little, hey, how are you? So as I was walking, he turns around and goes, what the hell did you say? <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get hit by an old man. So I turned around and I, you know, kind of put my hands out like, what, what are you, what are you saying? I said, I said, thank you for your service. And he looked embarrassed and, and uh, you know, apologized. He said, I'm very sorry. Um, he had a Vietnam logo on his uh, logo. <laughs> Welcome to Vietnam. He had a Vietnam, uh, uh, the Vietnam, what is it? The service ribbon on his insignia on his on his uh, his baseball cap. So he he turned around. And he says, "Oh, well, I'm sorry." He goes, you know, we didn't get a real good welcome home when we were coming back. And I, I said, you know, I totally understand, but I want you to know that I do appreciate your service. And uh, he, he kind of tipped his hat to me and turned around and walked away. But um, that was the, the first time I was threatened for thanking someone for their service. But anyway, I, I, uh, uh, if you're a VA buyer, you have a required termite inspection that has to be paid by somebody other than the buyer, right? The buyer service member is not allowed to pay for that. It's a VA non-allowable fee. And so it is up to the agents or the seller in most cases to pay that fee for the buyer. Roof inspection, and, and also we don't really have a large number of termites here in Las Vegas. It's a very, very dry climate. And termites really do need moisture in the soil to, to do well. And we do have them. Don't let anybody tell you we don't. We do have them. Um, I, I have had them in my own backyard, um, thankfully not anywhere near my home, but um, they are here in Nevada. So don't let people tell you otherwise. Roof inspection sounds just like what it is. Uh, septic lid removal goes along with septic inspection, septic pumping. We do have some areas of Las Vegas that were rural. Try and say that rural, rural, you sound like a dog barking, rural areas of town. Um, and those rural areas, especially areas like Pahrump, Overton, uh, rural parts of Nevada, we have or, or Clark County, we have what are car called rural preservation. <laughs> I sound drunk. Rural preservation areas. There are various parts of Las Vegas and Henderson that are large one acre, half acre properties. They're zoned for the rural preservation. They're not allowed to be uh, any higher density than 
um, I believe one house per half acre, so two per acre. Um, so that is uh, more common, commonly where you would find a septic tank. Um, so that includes the septic inspection, the septic lid removal, and the septic pumping. So then you also have fungal contaminant, mechanical inspection. So mechanical inspection would be the HVAC system, the plumbing areas of the home. Pool or spa inspection, which of course the home has to have a pool or spa in order to do that. Soils inspection, so you know obviously homes have soil because that's what they're built on. The floating homes have not yet uh, come into existence. We also have another uh, section that was added recently for elevator. Um, we do have uh, more homes than you would imagine with elevators in them. Uh, well inspection, well uh, quality and quantity. There are two different uh, distinctions for that, quantity and quality wood-burning device or chimney inspection, and lastly, the structural inspection. So um, I'm going to delve into these a little bit because I, I want to kind of uh, hit, hit on a few things that, that I have come to encourage my clients to, to be a little bit more, um, I guess I would say, curious about. Maybe we want to find some things out that we normally wouldn't look at. Um, the, for the most part, you would expect that a house. So, so let's let's touch on the home inspection. So, the home inspection for the most for 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 the large number of properties is going to be fairly non unexciting, uh, uneventful. What's the word I'm looking for? So, they're going to be pretty uneventful. You're going to have your normal issues with outlets or drippy faucets or um, smoke detectors that that are too old. I know most I know most home inspectors are shying away from the you know certification or or thumbs up on a home fires or, or smoke detectors because they don't want to be responsible if the smoke detector doesn't go off. But um, we are also I think one of the things that our our association should look into is adding fire suppression systems to our home inspection list because we do have a lot of homes now that have built-in fire suppression sprinkler systems. But your home inspection. It's going to come up with the normal litany of issues. Doors that don't close right or rub, sliding glass doors that don't roll right, um, you know, just a number of things. And, and, and really the list is, is as long as, as uh, you know, the, the, houses was, the house was maintained. If you have a poorly maintained house, you can have a list as long as your arm. So the home inspector goes out. He's doing a non-invasive, non-destructive inspection. What that means is he's not going to cut open walls. He's not going to pull back carpet or flooring. Um, he's not going to move furniture out of the way to check behind it. Um, I should say he or she, but we'll just, for ease of the conversation, I'm going to say he in most of this. The only female home inspector I've run into in my 18 years is Perry McAuliffe here in Las Vegas. Every other home inspector's been a man. Uh, so uh, le with the exception of Perry, uh, I'm just going to say he for all of these uh, these comments here. But they're not going to do anything that damages the property. I mean, the whole point here is to inspect the home. We have seen uh, the use of infrared, which has been great. Forward-looking infrared, FLIR, has been very useful in home inspections, especially in the last many years because it's become very affordable to own a FLIR camera. And so the home inspectors are able to see into spaces, and I put into in air quotes, into spaces that they weren't otherwise able to see in before because now they have this opportunity to go in and see color variations or gradients between hot and cold spaces. 
And so if you are looking at a piece of drywall or an area of drywall and the uh, ambient temperature around that drywall is, uh, we'll say, 75 degrees, but you have a hot or a cold spot that differs from that 75 degree ambient temperature, you'll see that displayed as a variety of colors. And obviously the reds are hot colors and the blues are cold colors. And so that gives the home inspector an indication of sometimes there's a leak, sometimes there's missing insulation. So if you're getting uh, hot air or hot uh, temperatures pouring through a space and heating up the backside of a wall, that could be an indication of uh, some sort of air penetration between the, the space that's allowing that hot air in. It's also nice when you have a freshly painted home. You know, people think, oh, wow, this is great. This house has been freshly painted. Freshly painted homes are great, but freshly painted resale homes are also potentially covering something. So when you have a home inspector that has the ability to look at the temperature gradients and variations inside a home, you do get to look beyond that paint. And so if you had a leak from an upstairs bathroom, for example, that was being covered up with brand new paint, that is one way to uh, kind of satisfy yourself that you've seen what, you know, and again, seen in air quotes, gotten some indication of what has been behind that uh, fresh coat of paint. Now, you know, it's it would have to just be some staining that gets covered up because we all know that if you've been around in real estate for long enough or you've been in a home that with, with any sort of leaking, it, it if it's been uh, severe enough leaking, you're going to see a... Uh, a buckling, a bowing, uh, some sort of, of expansion uh, or swelling of that drywall. So it's not often that you're just going to see a, a stain. But it's nice to know that if it's a leak that's just started or maybe it's a very slow leak and it's persistent but not something that they wanted to cut the drywall open for, that you're going to see that cool puddle outlined in blue or purple or whatever color it uh, shows up on the FLIR that gives you an indication that there's reason to, to look further. Um, I'm not saying that I, I would be mistrusting of anybody, but you know it's a trust but verify situation, buyer beware. You need to make sure to the degree that you're able to that the seller's not doing something um, or trying to cover something up. So, and you know, you occasionally run into the well-intentioned agent who thinks, oh, no big deal, we'll just, you know, this was just a stain. It's not something to really make hay about, but uh, we'll go into another episode about the seller's real property disclosure form and the statute that governs that form and why it's important to know what your um, property condition was. You don't get to, I mean, you do get to decide what you tell the buyer, but really you should be giving the buyer as much information as reasonably possible so that they can make their own decisions because when they make their own decisions about moving forward with the purchase and, and how they're going to... Um, what what risks they're willing to take on, then you set yourself uh, up for less concern later down the road. So your home inspector goes through and they do a pretty thorough inspection of the property. And in that inspection, you know, the home inspector is always going to refer you to a professional contractor in that area of, of, of practice or expertise. So let's for say, for example, you uh, you have your ground fault circuit interrupters are called GFCIs. They're that little outlet in your bathroom that when you've plugged in your blow dryer and your curling iron at the same time and turn them both on, it's that little guy that pops and uh, turns your bathroom lights off. <laughs> so uh, and you got to push that little tabby in 
and uh, reset the clock or reset the, the breaker there inside the outlet. So you've got to have those within six feet, I think was the most recent uh, number I've heard. But again, as I should have prefaced the beginning of this, this is not legal advice. I'm not a home inspector. I'm not a qualified uh, home inspector by any means. I am just giving you my experience as a real estate broker. So don't rely on any of this and certainly seek the advice of a competent professional and don't use this to substitute anything else as I am not qualified, just generally speaking here. But those outlets are supposed to be GFI protected within a certain distance of water. So wet areas, laundry rooms, bathrooms, um, the kitchen, of course, those areas are all quote unquote wet areas. The garage is another area outside outlets that are in boxes are also considered wet areas. So those should all be ground fault circuit interrupter protected. Um, there's a different kind of protector in the bedroom outlets. Those are called arc fault circuit interrupters. Those are there to, uh, prevent arcing and sparking in the bedrooms specifically and make sure that you guys don't uh, have a late night fire that makes it hard to get out of the house. So your home inspectors come back with a bunch of little, uh, you know, well, I say little in air quotes, but little things that aren't major concerns. But each one of those things is going to be tied to a specialty contractor. So anything electrical, he's going to recommend you see an electrician. Anything plumbing, you guessed it, a plumber. Um, you know, HVAC problems, if you don't have a proper split, and I'll go into splits in a minute, if you don't have a proper split, they're going to en uh, encourage you to see an HVAC contractor to have that evaluated. Um, so the split is the air temperature going back to the air conditioning unit from those uh, big returns. Those are the... Um, the areas in a home where you put your filters, so the returns are returning the air back to the uh, to be to be conditioned, and then the registers are what the air comes back out of once it's been conditioned. So hot air or cold air coming back from the air conditioning unit once it's been conditioned. So that is supposed to have a specific temperature drop. I believe it's 18 to 22 degrees cold air. Um, I don't know if there's a split differential, if it's the same differential for hot air, um, but uh, basically your home inspector is going to say, hey, this didn't pass that 18 to 22, 22 degree split. One area that home inspectors tend to be limited in the summertime or in the wintertime is the air conditioning units. You know, you're not supposed to turn your air conditioning units on after the temperature outside gets to a certain degree. I think it's in the 60s, but you're not supposed to turn your AC on when it's that temperature or lower outside as you can cause damage to the components. So what I encourage my clients to do, and really it doesn't matter if it's just summer or not, but especially in the wintertime, I encourage my clients to have a standalone HVAC inspection. And the reason we look at a standalone HVAC inspection is because that standalone inspection is going to involve an HVAC contractor coming out or a, you know, a licensed technician if they're working under a contractor. They're going to come out and they're going to take those uh, little valves apart, open them up, and put their gauges. You know, They have these gauges that you see them carry around sometimes with blue and red tubing. They're going to put those gauges on that HVAC condensing unit outside and they're going to make sure that the pressures inside it are correct. So the Freon levels are right, that everything in the unit's working appropriately. And even though it may be too cold outside to really get a great idea of whether the unit's working well or not, 
it's a licensed HVAC contractor. So they're able to go into that unit and look at it a little bit more deeply and thoroughly than a home inspector is able to do when the weather's not right outside. And they usually go up in the attic space or in the garage where the furnace is. Sometimes the garage is in the furnace. Sometimes it's in a closet in older homes inside the home. And sometimes it's in the attic. Most of the time it's in the attic crawl space, or I shouldn't say the attic because it's not an attic, it's a crawl space, but up in the, uh, the roof of the, the home. So it's really nice to have an HVAC contractor go out there and tell you how the, the HVAC is doing so that you can be assured, or your buyer can be assured, uh, most importantly, that the property is working correctly, that the HVAC is working correctly. And, um, you know, this is also important when you're talking about home warranties. You may have gotten your buyer or your buyer may have gotten a warranty or the seller may have bought them a warranty. Warranties are entirely optional equipment. You don't have to have a warranty on your home, but I feel like it's something that if you are new to home buying or new home new to home ownership, if you're buying in the winter time and you don't know 1000% if your HVAC is going to turn on the way it should in the summertime, um, it's nice to have that little bit of assurance, and again, not insurance, but assurance that there's going to be some support for you when you get to, uh, you know, uh, an issue. And I, I'm going to have some uh, people from Home Warranty come in and talk to us here about home warranties and what they are and what they aren't. Um, I, I will just say this as a blanket statement. They are not perfect and they are not going to be the end all be all for you, but um, it is nice especially as you get the the your feet underneath you at the house and you're getting settled in and, and making sure that everything's working correctly. It's nice to have a home warranty in place in the event of some unforeseen circumstance. So your but your property has to be option functional before you can uh, you know before the warranty company is going to come in and do any you know substantive repairs for you. You can't buy a house with a bunch of problems and say, oh, don't worry, the home warranty is going to fix it. They are very good at determining, um, or at least it seems that they're pretty good about determining whether there's an existing or pre-existing problem. So do not rely on a home warranty if the item is already broken. That would void that coverage item in your property. So you've done your home inspection. You've been referred to an, a professional, uh, or I should say a contractor for the various different areas that the home inspector brought up. I like to have the standalone HVAC inspection and depending upon the age of the home, depending upon uh, what the home inspector says, but also depending on what the front yard landscaping looks like, it's often a good idea to also have a camera or visual inspection of the main sewer line, the drain that goes from the house to the street. Because you want to make sure that there aren't any bellies. You want to make sure that nobody drove a tractor or a dump truck across the front of the yard, compressing the soil and cracking the um, pipe. You want to make sure in older homes, especially that you don't have clay pipe that has settled and bellied. Bellies are just imagine the bottom of that sewer line as it tries a pipe. And as that pipe travels underground out to the street, sometimes the bottom falls out you get these bellies and those bellies can fill up with solid waste and that solid waste and toilet paper and other things that people inadvertently flush down their toilets um, starts to build up and that buildup can eventually back up into the home. And when I tell you you don't want to have a, uh, 
I think it's called a class five cleanup uh, in your property, you don't want to have all of your waste backing into your property. So it is a, you know, an ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure sort of situation. You also want to keep in mind that you don't want the seller's problem to become your problem. So if you are buying a home and you can find something in the due diligence period and either have that issue remedied during due diligence, a credit, a repair, or some other way that the seller is acknowledging and remedying that issue for you, or you walk away, <laughs> this is what it's for. My wife and I were buying a house many years ago um, that, well, we were trying to buy a house that was in a, um, a part of town we really wanted to be in. It was rural. We like to live away from all the hustle and bustle. And um, it was on a street called Berlin. And it had a really nice RV garage, and we were super excited about that, and this other really, really, really massive garage area. So the whole thing was awesome, at least for what we wanted. And I found out that not only was the HVAC or the heating element in the home, the heating furnace unit, uh, pumping carbon monoxide into the home because it wasn't vented properly. We found out that the structure of the um, uh, RV garage, the standalone RV garage, was subpar. It was not braced correctly. We found out that the property was in a flood zone, um, which made flood insurance was $6,000 a year. That was an extra $500 a month on the mortgage payment that we simply were not going to pay. Um, and so I made all of this, uh, I make, I found all this out during our inspection and we canceled the deal. The only cost I was out was the cost of the inspection. That's it. I wasn't out the cost of fixing the AC unit or the, the heating unit. I wasn't out the cost of shoring up the uh, structure. I wasn't out the cost of renters and, uh, I'm sorry, I'm fumbling. Uh, I wasn't out the cost of doing uh, the flood insurance. So so that was the purpose. That is exactly why we have home inspections. So um, roof inspections are, you know, again, pretty self-explanatory. When you have a septic tank and you're buying a home with a septic tank, it's my opinion that the seller should bear the cost of the septic tank location. So locating the septic tank, if they're not sure where it is, which should be a big red flag. If they don't know where their septic tank lids are, uh, it means they haven't had it pumped. It, you should have them find it, remove the lids and pay for the cost of pumping. Um, as a listing agent, it would be my advice to prepare your sellers by having the septic tank pumped prior to the property being listed um, because they're not going to be using it sufficiently that it would refill it. So you want to do that um, before the inspections take place because really, why should the buyer pump your stuff out of the out of the septic tank? I mean, that's, that's my feeling. It shouldn't be the buyer's cost to pump your tank. Um, the buyer should, if they want, have the, the septic tank inspected and the leach field tested for proper... Uh, function. You know, the, the leach field is required to take on a certain amount of water during a certain period of time in order to pass the inspection. And so, yes, the buyer should pay for that, but you as a seller should be prepared to pull the tank lids, have it pumped, and hey, if you've got them out there already, why don't you just go ahead and have it inspected? Um, get it inspected, have that available for the buyers, 
It's one more thing to put them at, at ease. Septic tanks in Clark County, if your septic tank fails and you go to apply for your next tank to be, you know, for the replacement tank, if you are within a certain distance of a mainline sewer line for the reclamation department, they will require you to tie in. So it's important that if you have a septic tank that you're maintaining it properly. It's also important that if you are buying a home with a septic tank, you understand the condition of the septic tank because the cost of connecting to the sewer line and to the main the main line can be quite expensive. From trenching to the actual fee that you pay to connect, it can be quite, quite costly. So uh, fungal contaminant inspection, you know, really I... I'm of the opinion, and I think most uh, fungal inspectors are as well, that a, a home that appears to be in good condition with no previous history of fungus or mold um, really does not need a fungal contaminant inspection. It's not indicated um, that it need have one. Homes, the air we breathe, the air you're breathing right now has fungus and mold in it. It is just the way that fungus and mold live in our world. So the, the real reason for a fungal and contaminant inspection is to determine whether there are unusual amounts of fungus or mold in a property, whether that fungus and mold um, is potentially harmful. I know that if you do your research, you'll find that not all fungus and mold is harmful. You have to, in most cases, be sensitive to it um, and that it has to be the right kind of mold for you to um, have any real adverse reaction. But nonetheless, we don't want it in the house. So if there's a past moisture condition problem um, or there was previous evidence of mold or fungus in a home, the Nevada disclosure uh, does require the seller to disclose that to the buyer. It is fairly inexpensive to have a home tested, but again, it's not conclusive. So just because it shows up negative for uh, increased fungal contaminant spores in the air inside the home relative to the air outside the home, because they take two tests, one inside and one outside, they compare it to make sure that there's, um, you know, that the that it's a similar amount. But just because it's negative doesn't mean mold doesn't exist. And just because it's positive uh, doesn't mean that it's 100% accurate. You could have, um, you know, some ventilation issues in the home and maybe that home is holding uh, the spores. But you do want to obviously be, you know, satisfied and be content with the result of that inspection. So uh, we talked about, you know, quite a few things so far. The mechanical inspection, that's the HVAC, the plumbing. So we talked about those, the fungal and contaminant inspections. The pool and spa is one of those things that, you know, visually a pool should should not be cracking. And, and I don't just mean, you know, fissures inside a pool, but the plaster, right? The condition of the plaster. And, and I love, love, love showing pools after a really windy day in Nevada. Um, the reason for that is because the sand that tends to blow across the valley, the sediment that tends to blow across the valley, will settle into grooves and areas of, of plaster disrepair. And you can really see those pock marks inside the plaster when the, you know, the, the dust has settled, so to speak. Soils inspections on a existing property, I can't recall in my career where I've seen a soils inspection but clearly, if there's concerns about settling or any sort of uh, earth stability problems, especially if those have been noted on the seller's disclosure form, um, you know, I would say that if a seller's disclosing, disclosing 
earth stability problems, you really, really want to make sure that you get some disclosure signed and uh, probably even have your uh, seller pay or have the seller pay for the soils report. Uh, that can have a significant impact on the future of that home and the ability to resell it as well. Um, again, structural, I have seen, I have seen structural inspections on property because you get into situations where, again, the soil has been unstable or expansive or whatever the case may be. And of course, the buyer has to, at that point, ensure that the home is structurally sound. We talked about in one of the other podcast episodes, the Pepcon explosion, which happened many, many years ago. I think it was 1989. And it rocked the homes that were within a certain radius of that, that, that explosion. And then it also cracked the chimneys. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, Mark Minnelli, um, and he was talking about how it cracked some chimneys in another part of town that was already built at that point. And I guess he was saying in, in our discussion that there was some evidence of all of those chimneys or a majority of those chimneys cracking um, in and around the same time. Uh, but that brings us to wood burning device and chimney inspection. So if you have a buyer that is going to be using their chimney, I would encourage you to have it inspected. You know, there's especially a wood burning chimney the most of the chimneys that you see in Nevada today are decorative, for the most part, gas uh, appliances. They're really not a, a fireplace per se. I think of a fireplace as more of that high heat wood burning device, wood burning uh, stove. You've got to be extremely careful because if you don't educate your buyers and they have the older kind of gas fireplace that does allow you to open the doors very easily, um, most of them, they are sealed, but if they do have that older style, you cannot burn wood in those. If you burn wood inside a non-wood burning or non-wood rated fireplace, you can create a, a pretty dangerous situation and burn your house down because they are not, they don't contain the same fire proofing and fire resistance that a, uh, a brick chimney would or a, uh, fire brick chimney wood. I mean, it is, fire brick is a real thing. It's, it's brick that is intended to take that high, high heat. And if you, if you have a buyer that has, is buying a home with a wood burning fireplace, it's really important in my opinion, to have that roof, that uh, chimney inspected for cracking and other, um, you know, undesirable traits that you could have remedied during the buyer's inspection period. So Inspections are really, really important. And we talked about in the last episode, not just the inspections themselves, but the other aspects of the property due diligence. Um, we talked about the location of flood zones, airport noise, noxious fumes or odors, environmental substances or hazards, whether the property is properly zoned, locality of freeways, railroads, places of worship, schools, golf courses, etc. And again, we go in, we went into the point that the buyer is allowed to really do as much inspection of the property as they deem fit at their expense um, and that the seller is to allow the buyer reasonable access to the property during that due diligence period. And I've seen agents that will say things like, oh, well, your client's had enough time or your client's done enough inspections or your client, you know, my client doesn't want to let your client continue to, to access the property and things. And and really, if that's happening, one, you as, a, as an agent should have a discussion with your broker about the next course of action. It would probably involve your broker talking to their broker or, you know, 
something similar to that. Um, but it's it's really concerning, you know, if you have an agent or a seller who has said enough is enough, you don't get to inspect my home anymore now because obviously there's exceptions to that. You may have a buyer who's gotten a little overzealous uh, uh, with regard to their inspections. Maybe they're being a little too nitpicky and certainly the seller isn't required to agree to, um, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, nu- nuisance and re- request for repairs and stuff. But, um, you know, it's important that the, the buyer, in my opinion, have for, for the seller's benefit, for the seller three years from now or two years from now, that buyer coming back and saying, I, you know, you knew about this thing. Well, you had every inspection under the, th- the sun and no, I didn't know about this thing because how could I? It was, you know, hidden from view and, and you know, not readily accessible and I'm not an expert. And you had every expert known to man inspecting this property from top to bottom. I had a buyer one time, a really nice couple that were buying a house near the... Um, I want to say like the Duck Creek Wash in and around that area, older Green Valley. And we had uh, the home inspection. And during the home inspection, the home inspector found, and they were coming from Arizona. Um, so you may know where this is going. But during the home inspection, the home inspector found two dead, dry, desiccated bark scorpions or what appeared to be bark scorpions. Um, and so the buyers were, you know, obviously concerned. And I said, well, I said, what can we do? And I said, well, first, let's inquire with the seller about this issue specifically. And I think we even put in the purchase contract that the seller was to disclose a history of scorpions because being from Arizona, they were really, really hesitant to have anything that had scorpions um, because they had been through that already. And so we asked the seller specifically, like, do you have any knowledge of a scorpion problem in this house and the seller's response in writing was we had seen one or two and it was so i mean that's you know well we saw two <laughs> so um my we asked for more time in the due diligence which i think was was proper and we had terminate uh was it terminex or orkin one of those two but you know a, a major presumably reputable uh, pest control company come out. And um, again, I don't remember which one it was, but they did a inspection of the property. And this was a little colder time of year. I want to say it was, it was probably March or, or, you know, February, something in there. And so we had the property uh, looked over and the pest control guy came back with no signs of nesting, no signs of anything that would be concerning to the buyers. And so the buyers were like, okay, we found two. They were dry as the, you know, the the desert sands. They, um, sellers were presumably being honest about the disclosure and the inspector didn't find anything, the pest inspector. So we closed the escrow and maybe two months later, I got a call from my client and he was not happy. And I get it. Like I, the last thing I want in my house um, is scorpions. So he was upset and I said, man, let me pull up the home. Let me pull up the paperwork right now. I'm going to forward it to you so you can see. And, um, you know, I sent everything over to him. I said, this is what they relate to you. You know, if you want me to, to try to, you know, start a dialogue, I can, I, you know, I, I didn't know 
what he wanted me to do. You know, clearly I'm not an attorney, so I can't, you know, send some sort of a demand. But uh, yeah, it was, no matter how, my point in saying this is no matter how thorough you are, sometimes things just happen. And, you know, it's, it's hearsay at this point, but the buyers told me that the neighbor, uh, oh, and the, oh, the other thing is this yard was gorgeous. They had this like lush, beautiful, you know, foliage everywhere and plants and a pool and all this awesome stuff in that house. And the neighbor came over and was like, oh yeah, no, no, they've had scorpion problems for years and da, 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 and they've had it, you know, they've tried to get rid of them. And so they went on and on about this scorpion problem. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> not like you want to rely on the neighbor because sometimes the neighbor's your worst enemy when it comes to, um, you know, finding accurate information about a house. But they called me up and said the house was just, the, the property was overrun with scorpions. Um, and it, I, you know, that was not something that we could tell at the time. There's also nothing to say that they didn't come from other properties. These were obviously shared walls. You you don't have, uh, scorpions don't care if there's a wall between the houses. They travel wherever they want. So it's possible that they came from other areas. But the point of it is, certainly was not what the buyers were expecting after having two home, ins a home inspection, a pest inspection, a seller disclosure. Um, so, you know, no matter what you do, sometimes, you know, be damned, you're going to have a problem. So, I hope that this was informative. I hope it was helpful. I certainly would be happy to take your feedback at Jeff at thebrokeragevegas.com. Jeff at thebrokeragevegas.com. Keep in mind, it's Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F -F at thebrokeragevegas.com. You're welcome to uh, like and subscribe to this amazing podcast. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, as most people are today. Although I am hearing that I am old because I'm on Facebook now. And uh, I think that's offensive. So uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's about it for me today. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. And again, like, subscribe, share this podcast with anybody you know, frankly. I don't care if you like them or not. I appreciate your support in, uh, in my terrible humor and general uh, knowledge of real estate. So uh, have a wonderful day, night, whatever you're doing. And we'll talk next time. This is Jeff Lavelle, the broker of the brokerage real estate firm and my podcast, Agent to Agent Remarks. Hopefully we'll be together again soon. Until then, be kind to each other.